All right, we're going to go ahead and take up contribution. Um, this is for things like um, paying for ministry staff, our church building, um, and other uh, ways we build up the kingdom. Um, as we take this contribution, um, I want to call you guys just to remember that gratitude, um, the incredible night and day difference that Jesus has brought our lives into, um, and let that overflow in your giving. Um, and for us, a lot of our time is spent earning money, um, and so that's what we do. We collect money to build up the kingdom, um, to make disciples of all nations, um, and we're really building up not our individual bodies, but Jesus's body as a whole. So please think about that as you give. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to take contribution, to exercise the joy and incredible um, gift of being able to give. God, thank you for taking care of us to where we can be generous. Um, and we just, we love your blessings. You lavish us with grace. Thank you so much, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is 
Corey comes up and preaches the word. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Our God is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. While God is marching on, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah, while God is marching on. asked for help. Our church has been uh, supporting the Bakersfield uh, church for many years and uh, the couple that was leading the church got to a point where they decided to move and it left a ministry position open there. With only a few dozen members, the church had three couples ready to interview for the job, but they all turned it down. Farther south in San Diego, Dr. John Oakes was a retired college professor who led an international teaching ministry. He and his wife Jan had never served as evangelists. Dr. Oaks saw Greg Moritzky the next weekend at a teaching conference. For years, as I go around teaching around the world, I, I've tried to tell people who are empty nesters entering their uh, retirement age, this is when your ministry should really start cranking. And indeed, when Greg Moretzky asked him to interview for the position at the small church, John walked the walk of what he taught. 
The church in Bakersfield, they, the bottom line is they couldn't afford to pay what they really needed, but I got some retirement income. They could afford to pay, and uh, I felt like well, I hadn't really thought of leading a church. It never entered my mind. If I'm true to being a disciple, I needed to consider doing that. And so I said, sure, I'll interview. Honestly, I kind of had a feeling if I interviewed, they offered me the job. One thing led to another. They decided to move uh, to Bakersfield, and they got hired. They want to have a team ministry. They want to be a church that has an influence on their community. And so that became the agenda. I said to Jen, all right, campus, teens, but we, we can't do singles ministry. There wasn't really hardly any singles in the church to build it on. So one of the leaders said, why aren't you doing a singles ministry? So two weeks later, we had our first singles devotional. We've had three singles baptisms. And I'm telling you, it's the, it's the Holy Spirit. The attendance in the church has gone from like 35 or 40 to 60, 65. Uh, we've had several people who had left the church come back. We've had baptisms. The faith of the church has just uh, been revived and it's really an exciting time right now. The skills that we learn in, in whatever 30, 35 years in the church are being used, but they're being multiplied. And nothing could be more satisfying than that. And that's some great news from our Pacific Southwest family of churches. Amen. What great news that is. Uh, I hope you guys are encouraged by these videos. We have a bunch of them, and uh, I enjoy showing them. Uh, welcome again. If you're visiting with us, we are so glad that you're here. Uh, we do. Uh, we we are uh, uh, enjoying uh, being together, and uh, in, we're going to be back in the Book of John today. Uh, next week, uh, Sunday, we have very special guests, Brittany and Cody, and Brittany Dowdy will be with us. Cody's going to be preaching the word and uh, giving us some more information on what's happening uh, with the Lynchburg church planting. So that's going to be really exciting next week. Just a couple of public service announcements. Um, please wash your hands. Anybody who's ever cut jalapenos knows about this. Um, you know, here's an alternative to some face masks, if you, because they're all sold out. You can't get those in many places. Just get a big Tupperware container. Uh, here's our new uh, official, our, our new official greeting at church from now on. Just so you guys, um, no more handshakes. Um, <laughs> Anybody who knows me well knows that I'm not real keen on hand-holding, except with my wife. Um, so, you know, maybe it's your choice. Don't feel compelled to hold hands uh, uh, right now. For some reason, people are buying a lot of toilet paper. Don't really know how that goes with what's happening right now. But I think, you know, do what you want. Whatever's gonna, whatever floats your boat, whatever precautions, I thought now it would be good to have a little bit of a bring a little levity to the situation that's happening around us. And, uh, uh, but whatever precautions you need to take, take them for the sake of your family, for yourself, okay? If you're coughing, stay at home. If you're, you know, if you're not feeling well, feel free to stay at home. We have a great Facebook Live feed uh, that's, that can come right into your living room if you need to, okay? Um, we prefer you be here, but if you're sick, we prefer you stay home. Uh, just to, to, if there's any, anything needing to clarify that. So we're back in John 19, we're going to be uh, continuing um, maybe some of the, the heaviest parts of the scriptures as we uh, look really into the details of the crucifixion today. Um, 
thought we would start with a little bit of humor because the rest of it's not quite so fun. Um, in, John, uh, in John 19, we'll start at the, uh, the second half of verse 16. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protect, protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the Scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood His mother, His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw His mother there, and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby, He said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Let's pray together. Father, this is, uh, it's, it's difficult to read these things, to consider the pain that Jesus suffered. But when we consider the love you show through this, we are humbled and amazed. And I pray that today our hearts would be stirred by what we read and by what we, we consider from Your Word. Thank You so much, God, for the Bible that tells us the encouraging things but also shows us the difficulty. And Father, I pray that today our hearts would be moved. We love You and thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. For three years, Jesus has been talking about this moment. In John chapter 3, just a few verses of when Jesus had, had told them this was going to happen. In John 3, 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake. <coughs> Uh-oh. Somebody have a mask? Maybe a bottle of water? John 3.14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. In Mark 8.31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. In Mark 10.33, they will condemn the Son of Man to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And in John 12, 32, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus prepared them 
for this time. He willingly, go and study John chapter 10. He did it willingly. He poured himself out willingly. When they did what they did, he, did, he, didn't, he didn't fight against them. He put his arms out there willingly. The cross is the definition of cruel and unusual punishment. Up to this point, he'd already been flogged, had his back and buttocks and legs ripped to shreds. He had been beaten on the head with a staff. He had had a crown of thorns placed on his head. The Scriptures describe that, that he, was, he was not even recognizable as a man because of the he had taken. As if that weren't enough, now the crucifixion comes. Some of the details of this crucifixion, uh, of, of any crucifixion, the, the, uh, the, the, the person that was being crucified had to carry his own cross. Now John doesn't tell us about Simon, but Simon of Cyrene is chosen to uh, go and uh, look at the other, the, the uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you see that Simon was chosen. It doesn't mean that John lied, it just that John carried his own cross. He started carrying it, but then he began to fall under the weight because it weighed 75 to 100 pounds. And he had to carry that thing after being beaten the way he had, and he was, he's dragging it through the street. Or if he's trying to carry it on his shoulders, imagine doing that. So they chose Simon of Cyrene, and I would really encourage you to go and, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a great music video, a song done by a guy named Keith Green called Watch the Lamb. And uh, it's, a 15, it's, it's a very long music video. You can get it on YouTube. I would encourage you to go and watch it. It really is moving. Um, and I believe it's the Luke account. We learn that the sons of Simon are called Rufus and and uh, get the other the boy. But, but it's interesting that the writer knew who they were. Which tells us that they must have got to know them when they got older. They must have become Christians or had some sort of connection that they were root. Uh, thank you so much. And they, and they, and they, 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 they must have got to, but, but, that, but that, that intimate connection that, that, that Simon would carry that crossbar whether it was willingly or he was forced, carried that there. And then they get to the place, Golgotha. There's, there's, the traditional place is covered up now by a church. You can go and basically see they have a, the rock is covered by glass. You actually can only get, you can't touch it. Uh, the, the, the church of the Holy Sepulchre is there in, in, in Jerusalem. That's the traditional place. That was the place built by the mother of Constantine. That church was built there back in the 300s. And, uh, it, the, 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 but, the, but the less traditional place actually, in my opinion, makes more sense. You can go and look up, look up Golgotha and look at the images of Golgotha because actually it's a stone, there's a garden, there's a tomb. It's actually quite a beautiful place. We got to, got to take communion there and, and, and uh, walk into this, this tomb that was carved into the side of the this stone. But they take you to this other spot and there's a, there's a uh, I, I forgot to put a picture up there, but uh, there's actually a stone, it's a, it's a little hillside that looks like a skull. There's, and, and the side of it, it's, it's, it would make sense that it would have the name. And it's also outside the city. And it's got busy streets running along it. It, 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 all, it all made sense, to me anyway. But, you know, whether, whichever one, it doesn't matter. The point was, they took him to this place of the skull. And they laid him down, 
the, 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 the long beam would have been in place. The, the cross beam, he would have had to be nailed by his wrists. Otherwise, it would have ripped out of his hands. Here, nailed onto that cross beam, lifted up, and put in place. Now, we often think, and most, most uh, if you look at most uh, emblems or, or uh, crosses with Jesus on it, you see his feet, it looks like his feet are actually on top of one another and the nail is put through his feet. That's the, that's the traditional way most people thought. But actually, there's some proof now. This is, this is actually a picture the, on, the, on the right is a, uh, the, a foot, the, a section of the foot. Uh, on, the left, on the left is a recreation of it, but it was, it was, his feet would have been likely on the side of the cross. And the nail driven through that part of your, of your heel, you know, where the Achilles is, uh, right, right through that spot. That's where that nail is. You can go and actually see a copy of this in the, in the Israel Museum. Uh, it's on display there. Um, so there's, there's some... It, it's, it's terrible. So he's nailed up there. And the only way to breathe, the only way to breathe when you're on a cross because you're, all your weight is pressed on your chest, the only way to breathe is to push up. You can imagine the pain. And it went on for hours in the cycle of pushing up to get a breath. And letting go. And eventually, many people, many people die of suffocation. Some believe that Jesus died of coronary failure because of the way it is finished and then He, was, he give, gave up His spirit. Crucifixion was a death, was a death to be feared. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a place where, where, where people would, would come together and and, and, and see, it was, it was a warning that the Romans would use. If you do this, that's why they would put a sign over their head. If you do this, this is what happens to you. It was feared even by the Roman soldiers themselves. In, in Acts chapter 7, uh, whenever Paul is in prison and the, and the gates are opened and, and they, the soldier thinks that the prisoners escape, rather than putting himself through the death on a cross, he wants to kill himself with his sword. That tells you how bad the cross must have been. Roman citizens were not allowed to be crucified on the cross. They must have made an exception. The amazing thing is, even death, even on the cross, we learn lessons from Jesus. Three points, three thoughts from today. The first point is, take a stand. Take a stand. You know, Pilate, he was a wishy-washy fella who, who would not take a stand because of what I talked about last week, his desire for power, his desire for control, and, and he couldn't control the situation, finally gave in. And, and, and here we see, finally, Pilate takes a stand. What an interesting place to choose to take your stand. You take your stand over what sign you put over this person's, the, 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 over Jesus' head. He stands, uh, it, it's too late by that time to take a stand. 
He could have, he could have released Jesus. He had the authority to release Jesus. He took his stand on a sign that really didn't mean anything. Later on, we'll see Joseph and Nicodemus. I won't talk about them much because I want to leave that for the next, whenever they're mentioned in the text. But they also, in their time coming to Jesus, they would come at night and they would come in secret and, and, and they were secret, quote-unquote, disciples. So I don't see how that goes hand in hand. That seems to be a bit of a contrast of ideas. A secret disciple. There, there is no such thing. But yet, that's what they did. But then once Jesus died, they could have stepped in. They could have said, no, take me instead. They could have fought. They could have said, I'll go with him. But they didn't. They were quiet. They were quiet until it was too late. And once he died, Joseph stepped in. I'll take him and take care of him. And then they spared no expense. But at what cost? What does this mean for us? We can't wait until it's too late to take a stand for what is right. We, we can't allow fear or, or worry or self-focus, whatever it might be that's preventing you from taking a stand that makes a difference. Realize that you can't wait until it's too late. If you wait until it's too late, you're done. You're done for. You, you hear of natural disasters all the time. In Nashville, there was a, there was a tornado this, just this week. Those people went to bed fully anticipating maybe there'll be some rain tonight or whatever. 22 or maybe the number's up to 29. Now I don't remember exactly what, what it is, but all those people, gone. Just like that. Just like that. They thought, they thought tomorrow's coming. What's keeping you? Maybe you're afraid to speak the truth. Maybe you're afraid to challenge sin. If you see sin in someone else, if you're a Christian and you, you, you need help, what, what is it that's keeping you from taking a stand that makes a difference? Maybe you're allowing yourself to be too self-centered and realize... And, 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 and you, you're not realizing the impact of your behavior until it's too late. When I came to church 20-some years ago, 24 years ago, actually about this time in May of 1996, I started studying the Bible, and, and I remember at that point I was married, and uh, we were separated. That's what took, brought me to church. And I was I studied through, and we when we study the Bible with people, we we look at we talk about sin, and 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 I was very convicted by my sin, and I went to my wife at the time, and I said, you know, I just I just want to apologize, and I tried to try to make it right, and the words that she said to me were, it's too late. So of course in my life. Okay, I, I began to pray for God to give me a godly wife. Whatever that meant. Whatever that meant. And man, did I win. But that, the, the mistakes that I made, were, it was too late for that. And, 
God used that, and, 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 and I'm so grateful that He did. I can't imagine what my last, last 21 years would have been like without Angela and how God turned that around. But don't wait until it's too late for you. Don't wait in your marriages. Don't let there continue to be strife and fighting and bickering and, 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 and all of those things. Get help. In your parenting, don't wait to take a stand with your kids until they're, they're preteen or, or, or teenagers and okay, now I'm going to take a stand. Or when they have no interest in God and you're like, oh, teen workers, please save us. Please save my little Johnny. Well, you need to take a stand when they're two. You need to take a stand when they're one. Because when they're one, or you, when you, if you take a stand when they're one, guess what? You don't have to deal with terrible twos. See, you think I'm kidding? Take a stand. I, I, if, you start to, if you start to take a stand, I'm talking spirit, scripturally getting help, getting help on your parenting. I was a terrible parent. I probably still am a terrible parent, depending on how you look at it. But, 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 but even the mistakes I made, I know Alexa got the hardest discipline. Uh, Ryan got the next hardest. Then we learned the most and kind of got a balance with Jordan. And, and they claim he's spoiled. But, you know, we call Alexa our guinea pig. She got the worst of it. Um, but she's a good kid. We love her. She's great. And, and uh, so is Ryan. And... Ryan is here today, and, and Jordan is, and I'm so grateful for these kids, but, 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 but I'm, all of them got whooped, okay? All of them got spanked. They could tell you the stories. And, hey, maybe they need some therapy now, I don't know. But don't wait until our children get older. Take a stand. Don't be afraid to say no. In our everyday Christian lives, live choosing to be righteous and holy. Don't think, oh, I've got tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. Take your stand for Christ and do it now. In Luke 9, verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Whether it be on our jobs or in our schools or in our neighborhoods or in the 7-Eleven or in the Food Lion or Kroger or wherever you are, why not just have a lifestyle of evangelism? A lifestyle of sharing the gospel with people. A lifestyle of taking the opportunity to bring Jesus into every conversation. If you're following Jesus today, that's what Jesus did. Everywhere He went, whatever He did. If you need to get your faith built, then get your faith built, but then share it with somebody else. If you want to get your faith built, go and ha sit down with a non-Christian and study the Bible with them and help them. to. And you begin to be more and more grateful for the life you have, even the difficult life you might have in Christ. I think the answer to most every one of these, uh, every one of the challenges that I see people is just get into a Bible study and your gratitude will go up exponentially. The good news in all of this is you're here.
it's not too late because you're here. And you can take a stand, you can repent, you can change. One of the reasons we take a stand is to fulfill the Scriptures. To fulfill God's gift, God's, God's call. Second thought, whatever necessary. Whatever necessary. So when my kids were younger, we used to, we learned this, I don't remember where we learned this, but who here has little ones that like to touch things when they go into stores? Yeah? Everybody? Everybody does. So what we would do is we would give our kids a quarter, and we would have them put it in their hands and hold it like this. And if you walked out of the store with the quarter in your hand, you got to keep it. And actually, they would do whatever necessary. And sometimes it would be like, oh, I want to touch that with, my, with both hands. No, you, you can't do that. And then I don't remember if they dropped it. If they drop it, I'm sure mom gave them a second chance because that's what moms do. And if they drop it in front of me, I take it from them and say, good, thanks for the quarter back. But, but they do whatever necessary to, to keep that quarter. Nowadays, inflation has gone up. You might need to give them a dollar. But, but, you, you, but the, the point being, whatever necessary to get that reward. You know, God went to great lengths to make sure the things that were written in His Word were fulfilled through Jesus. You know, Jesus predicted his, uh, his betrayal. Uh, Jesus betraying Him was, was in Psalm 41, verse 9. I won't go through all of them for the sake of time, but, but his, the brutality and beating in Isaiah 53 and dividing up of the clothes and, 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 and being in, in a grave with the wicked and, 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 and with the rich in His death and uh, giving vinegar to drink. All of these things uh, were predicted. The use of the hyssop branch. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting one. This use of the hyssop branch. Uh, the hyssop branch is referred to in Psalm 51, verse 7. Psalm 51 is the psalm that David wrote after Bathsheba. And it, is, it was his psalm of repentance. And in that he, he says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The significance is, of the hyssop is that the hyssop is what was used to spread the blood of the sacrifice over the doorposts. In, in, in Egypt before whenever the Passover occurred. It was the hyssop branch. The hyssop branch is what was used to pass the sponge to Jesus. It's got, it's got a pretty significant, you know, as it, as it winds its way through the Scriptures. Jesus' bones were kept intact and His side was pierced and said... How, this, this was really amazing because Pilate had given orders... For the, for the legs to be broken. Again, this is later, this, this is, is, uh, um, would be later, but, but whenever the governor speaks, he speaks for the emperor. The, when, when the governor says, do this, you do it. You obey. And, 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 you know, they were told to go and break the legs to make sure that the people were dead. And that was their mission, break the legs. Verbatim compliance. But they didn't do what they were told to do. Because there was a Passover lamb requirement in Exodus 12, verse 46, that it be an unblemished animal. An unblemished, no bones would be broken specifically. Psalm 34, verse 20, he protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. They did what they weren't supposed to do, which was prophesied in Zechariah 12 and Isaiah 53. The piercing of the side. God even used worldly Roman soldiers to make sure the Scriptures would be fulfilled. 
They didn't think, God's using me. God just worked. That's how He does it. What are the odds of all of these Scriptures being fulfilled? I did a little bit of research. And for eight of the prophecies to be fulfilled, based on the numbers that I saw, I've heard, I've heard a couple of different things. One of them is 1 times 10 to the 17th. 17 zeros. Another one I read this morning was 1 times 10 to the 28th. That's, that's how the odds. 1 octotrillion. It's some crazy number. It's like if you took the state of Texas. I'm from Texas, so I like this analogy. You took the state of Texas and you filled it two feet deep with silver dollars. And you marked one of them. And you put a blindfolded man, and you let him go, and you said, pick a coin. The odds of him picking that coin in, those, in that space is about that. I mean, this gets into inconceivable numbers. But that's the odds. That's for him to fulfill eight prophecies. He fulfilled many more than that in what he did. That's just the eight that are mentioned here of the fulfillment of the prophecy. God continues to have His will fulfilled today. 2 Peter 3.9 It's God's desire that people come to repentance. That passage I just, just showed sorry, I don't know why I'm here. 1 Timothy 2 This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is God's desire? God's desire is for all people to come to repentance. For all people to come to knowledge of God. How is that going to happen? He's only got one plan. Guess what that plan is? It's you. You are His plan. You are the A-team. There is no B-team. You are the varsity players. You are, you are the ones who have been chosen by God to do His work. Are you ready? Are you, are you willing? Are you willing to be used by God to fulfill His plan? Or are you just content with being on the sideline? I tell you, the difference between the sideline and playing in the game is the difference between life and death. Because you can't be on the sideline and claim to be in the game. It doesn't work that way. We've got to be in the game. God's got work to be done. We, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What is the good work God has, in, 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 has prepared for you? Whatever necessary to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ whatever necessary, to represent Jesus to the world. That is is helping to fulfill God's will, and He wants to use you to do it. Maybe you're not yet following Jesus, and you're wondering, what is this all about? Let me tell you, the cross is all about changing the world. That death made a difference for all of eternity for you and I. For you, if you're not a Christian yet, you have access. It was done for you, too. You just have to 
You have to claim it. You have to, you have to find, study the Bible, get someone to look at the Scriptures with you. Maybe you're a Christian today and you've been on the sidelines for way too long. It's time to get back in the game. Why? Because of the cross. Because of how the cross changed you a long time ago. And all that God did to set it all in place perfectly just as He continues to do. Luke 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. What fruit is he talking about here? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. But also, I believe the fruit of helping others become Christians. Being engaged in the active ministry, the active uh, activity of going and helping people. Overcoming fear because Jesus did. Overcoming selfishness because Jesus did. Because He showed us the perfect example. It's not just my job to help people. It's all of our job. It's all of our call to help people and serve people. The world still needs to be reached. And God's Word needs to be fulfilled. Are you ready? Are you eager? Are you willing to put yourself out there and do His work? Or are you too caught up in your life, in your situation, in your struggles, in your failures, whatever they might have been? Let me tell you, it's behind you. You can't change what you've done. You can only change what you're going to do. That's the difference that's made. Whatever necessary. Third and finally, finish the work. Finish the work. The Jews thought Jesus' death was the end. Life would go back to normal, and there'd be no more to be heard from this group. Well, little did they know. Jesus proclaimed, it is finished on the cross. Jesus said seven things from the cross, which you can... You put in the context of the cross itself and the pain involved in taking a breath, much less speaking full sentences. Father, forgive them as He thought of others. Father, forgive them in Luke 23, 34. 23, 39 to 43. The, 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 the guys next to Him are debating however that's working. And one of them says, you know, he, he's done nothing wrong and asked for Jesus to remember him. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And he forgave him. He's on the, he's on the cross in uh, John 19. Here is your son. Here is your mother. Concerned for his own mother. And John himself is who that most believe was the one he's talking about. He talks about his relationship to his father. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Matthew 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And three statements about himself. I am thirsty. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he also says, as it says here, it is finished. It is finished. It's 
it, it, it's the, the Greek word is so definitive. It, it's basically, it is finished, it stands finished, and it always will be finished. I have completed the work. It would be a statement that's made by a field worker or a servant. When a priest examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless, this is the word why. Artists completing a picture or a sculpture would use this. A merchant would say, the debt is paid in full. And the most powerful meaning of this term is for us. The Old Testament prophecies have been fulfilled. Sin can now be removed instead of just being covered up year after year after year, which is what it was under the old system. Now it is finished so that we can live life to the full. It is finished so that we can be followers of Jesus. It is finished so that we can go and help other people for eternity, make an eternal difference in their lives. It is finished for good. If you've, if you've accepted this, if you believe and you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you can be confident that it is finished for you too because your sins are forgiven. And you can live in gratitude in that for the rest of your life. Now, Satan tries to tell us otherwise. Satan tries to tell us, oh no, but don't you remember? Don't you remember? And surely by, by what you did, these other people, and, they, and he starts to fill your head with all sorts of stuff. And it's just lies. And so many of us, I believe, have, have, have trained our thinking negatively. And we won't get into all of that because that stuff, I think Javier can help us with the neuroplasticity and all those things and how our minds can be trained in one direction. We'll have to have him do a lesson for us in midweek uh, to, to help teach us about that stuff. Uh, but, but it's true, by the way. At all, uh, there's, a, there's a great book out there uh, I, uh, called The God-Shaped Brain. It's, it's amazing. It talks about the power of the mind but how you can retrain your thinking. So, but, but we train our, because of, because of sin and all sorts of things, we train our thinking in the wrong direction. And we're intended to train our thinking toward God. And all those things that have happened, and all the things you've done, they're true. You've done them. You've been guilty. You are guilty. But if you're a Christian, you are saved. You are washed. It's, 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 it's a continual flowing of the Holy Spirit cleansing us. When we are responding to God's grace. And if you learn nothing else from today, walk away with the confidence of knowing if you're a follower of Jesus today, no matter how you've been doing, make a decision today to walk out of here, I am cleansed and I'm going to be different. I'm going to be changed by the cross. That it's not going to be the same tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And make progress. Satan's going to try and come to you later on today. Maybe on the drive home when you get into a fight with your wife. Maybe on the, when you get to the house and these dishes are still dirty and, and, and those kids are still crazy and they're still touching everything in the store and they need a whooping, but they, you know, and, and, and all of those things. But Jesus died for a purpose. Finish the work. It was started by God so many years ago. And the promise to Abram that he would bless the whole world. We are the fulfillment of that. But it's not done yet. We need to finish the work. Jesus made it available 
for each and every one of us. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. There was a purpose for His death. There was a purpose for this cross scene. And that purpose is so that we might die to sins. So that we might die to sins. How are you going to respond to what Jesus has done for you? If you're a Christian today, are you willing to finish the work? The life we're living is not a sprint. It's a marathon. But it's meant to be run full on, headlong, absolutely engaged in the ministry of Jesus. We need to stop giving ourselves passes. Stop giving ourselves ex ex exceptions. Yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. That, no, no, it does, actually. It does. And if you're not yet following Jesus, get in the Bible with the person that brought you today. Ask someone to study the Bible with you to show you what it means to follow Jesus so that you can take hold of it as we have the opportunity to. Jesus died and completed His task. He would rise and spend about 40 days with the disciples here, but then He was gone. And it was time for the disciples to do the work. And here we are, hundreds of years later, and the call has not changed. The call to go and make disciples. The call to make a difference in the lives of people. Not religiously just going through the motions, but actually being inspired. Remembering when you studied the cross the first time. Remembering when you were changed by the cross the first time. And being just as excited because of what Jesus did. Being just as committed to doing His will as we, as we were then. Just as committed to being a part of the body as we were then. Just as excited and faithful that God can use you. Yes, you too. God can use you. When you first became a Christian, you remember nobody could shut you up? Let's get back to that. Let's get back to that. Wholeheartedly devoted to God and doing it because of what Jesus did. Jesus finished His work and now it's time for us to commit to finishing ours. Let's not wait until it's too late to take a stand. Take a stand now. You know that person that you need to take a stand with? You know that that conversation you need to have to not, not be afraid. Do it full of love, full of kindness. Don't go in there being rude like a, just a bull in a china shop. Don't do that. Get some help. But take a stand. Don't wait until it's too late. You never know what too late will be. So allow the cross to have its effect on your heart and life today. Allow God to use you to finish the work. Let's live that way on the peninsula. Amen, church. Let's all stand and sing.